Ever wondered about being a technical director? How about a director of coaching? I've got someone who's done it at club, high school, college, ODP, and even he's coached in the Philippines. This is a man who has been there, done that, seen it all. You are going to love the next 35 minutes. Stand by. This is The Bear and the Ball. Hi, I'm Nick Webster, Vice President of Adults on the Cal South Board of Directors. As you all know, I'm a complete and utter soccer junkie. I could talk about this game all day long. In fact, I usually do talk about this game all day long. Currently, I'm enjoying some World Cup qualifiers. I've got my college team buzzing along. We're actually in second place in the Big West. That's the UCSB women's team. And high school is about to begin. A new job for me at New Roads, the powerhouse of Division 7. Also, my son, 14 years of age, club soccer. He is in the thick of things and buzzing around in the center of midfield for his local club. But as I said, it's now time to meet the man, the legend, Joey Hoffman. Joey, thank you and welcome to the Bear and the Ball. Thanks, mate. Sometimes I question if I'm the legend or the leg end, you know what I mean? (laughs) But I appreciate you having me on. Oh, anytime, Joey. So what have you been up to? Uh, doing D-licenses online now. We changed, obviously, that. So I did a, just finished a couple of those, which are working out pretty good. The boys director at a club, uh, coaching a girls 06s and a boys 07s. And some people think because I coach soccer, I'm living the dream. But sometimes I feel like I'm living the nightmare. But you know how it goes, mate. It's the same same no matter where you go you got little things to deal with but other than that i'm 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 healthy and uh, not too bad mate talk to me about the the d license process because i got many friends who are interested in coaching they've started at the grassroots level where does the where does the d take you and what kind of information are you are you giving these coaches and and what kind of level do you think they can coach at after receiving a d license I think it's interesting because there's a perception and I mean, I'm, I'm on some groups and social media and stuff and I read some of the stuff and sometimes I, I respond, but I, I feel like some people don't, they come into the D license. Uh, a lot of the people think, you know, okay, I'm not going to pick up much here and, and they don't realize how in depth we go into things, whether it's managing the performance environment, you know, we talk about the six tasks of a coach, which is, which is a, it's a good kind of guideline, the five elements of a practice. Um, and at the D, it's a play, practice, play. And even even we've had a, a UCSB uh, assistant coach on one of the Ds I did. And, and, right. and, 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 and yeah, and a lot of the stuff can translate. And, you know, I, I try and help put, put some of the stuff to translate into real everyday stuff. And then when they get on the field for the for the final field session, I think a lot of the stuff kind of clicks in place. But uh, you know, I've always said that the licenses is a great place. If you go in open-minded, you will pick up some stuff for sure. You'll meet some good people and network. And 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 I feel like there's too many people that coach that don't kind of take it. Uh, I don't want to say serious, but maybe look into doing it sooner rather than later. And uh, to me, it also says something to the to the parents 
that you're coaching the kids if you're showing them that you're looking to learn a bit. And and like I say, if you go into things with an open mind, I think you can learn something from anybody. And 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 it's been going really well. I mean, obviously in the past it would be two weekends, and uh, now it's a, it's a Zoom call on average about once a week and a couple of times twice a week. And you know we have them at different times. Uh, I did one at eight fifteen on Tuesdays. I've done one at noon on Tuesdays. So it's kind of good for the coaches and a lot of the coaches I spoke to really appreciate that because it's very hard to miss two weekends, as you know, in when you coach soccer full time or, or close to it. But it's good. We put them a lot in breakout rooms. We do we do a lot of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's not as boring as I'm sure what people would think an online license would be. So I would definitely if you if you have a, the grassroots license or an e-license, I would definitely look into it. And um, I guarantee you'll pick up some things for sure. And you can go to calsouth.com, find the tab, click on it, and uh, sign yourself up. Joey, com- compare coaching coaches to coaching players. I look at it exactly the same, you know, and, and, and I think sometimes coaches don't look at it that way, right? So when I have a group of um, coaches in my group, they're my team, right? And, and just like your team, you've got acceptable behavior and unacceptable behavior, and and sometimes some coaches feel like the rock stars, you know, it's like, don't talk to me, talk to my agent, which is the manager. So it's good. It's good. I enjoy it. But I do think, you know, we've had a discussion about this before. Your personality and how you speak to people goes a long way. And so I try to make it a, a open communication and that, that, that there is we do have a little bit of fun. Sometimes I'll have you know, crazy people, they support Arsenal or Chelsea, or I don't even want to say the words Man United, but we have a bit of fun with them. And then we get the work done. And uh, like I say, they're in groups and it's, I, I, I really enjoy it. And I think I enjoy it because I, I, I currently coach as well and do the things like you said. So I personally try and make it as realistic as possible because sometimes I think, you know, and I just like, I might tell my players, like you're playing like a textbook player, like, there needs to be that little bit of reality in it, that little bit of creativity in it. But I think it's good. But it is exactly like you said, coaching a team is is, is like doing a course. And 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 uh, we manage kind of the environment, the culture, even though it's not that long. And uh, and it's fun. I, I really enjoy doing it. Well, what do you think the qualities are of a good coach? And I mean, if, if, if you were to look at anybody saying the professional game as a, as a role model for young aspiring coaches, who, who would you choose? I would say the qualities are the good qualities of a human being, which are lacking in these days because social media has taken over and, you know, younger people want to be an influencer, which means you get paid to do nothing, but just take pictures. And so I would say humility, you know, being a good role model, respect, um i would go the approach of kind of like i've done the last 10 years i don't read anything about x's and o's i read about people good boss bad boss you know good to great how do children learn everything on the that more of that holistic approach uh because i feel like when you put them as players first and not people first you don't get as much out of them and um and so i think you've got to be patient as a coach you know you've got to keep calm You've got to be able to problem solve, and I'm not even talking about the game. And then you've got to be able to manage people or try to get better at those things. And I think that's the, I would say that's the biggest thing is sometimes 
we do we do a, a PDP, a professional development plan at the end of every every license we do. And the coaches, I don't feel sometimes pick those specifics that will make them that much better. And I think the biggest thing is actually caring about the people you coach, you know, and that that I it kills me to say it, but I feel like it's kind of like teachers sometimes, you know, with coaches, sometimes certain people maybe shouldn't be around kids. But if you are and it's your job, enjoy it, you know, have a little bit of fun with them. It's okay to have fun. And I say to them all the time, there's a difference between having fun and messing around. And I'd love to say that the role model should be Jorgen Klopp. But I feel like in the youth game, he's a little bit too aggressive. And um, he would definitely be red carded if he coached in youth games here in Southern California. I, I, I like I like Guardiola. I think he, he, he obviously not so much for his style of play, but I think he is focused so much on that that it means something to him and if i'm honest i feel in america we're lacking that that pride in someone watching your team play and and the style of play means more than the results but knowing and i'll guarantee if you ask him that if you play this way your chances of winning are better and i think that piece is kind of lacking so that's why i would say guardiola because I feel like in the United States, in the youth game, we don't ever talk about or think about a style of play or how to get that, you know, whatever the age. That's really, it's really interesting you, you mentioned the, the relational side of coaching. And I think over the last 10 years, that side of the game has really resonated with me beyond the X's and O's. And I, and I think, you know, the X's and O's, I, I mean, I... You, you might disagree, but I think the X's and O's actually take care of themselves. I mean, football's a very, very simple game. I think if you make if you make it simple for the players, they'll respond. But like you said, how do you get the most out of them? You don't get the most out of them by bollocking them or, or creating a, a, a prison camp work-like environment, but you, you get the best out of them by knowing something about them, what drives them, what motivates them, what makes them sad, what makes them happy, what excites them. And so I think for, I guess that what I'm asking you to do now is how do you, how do you get through to 16 players? I mean, you, you just said you, you have two teams. So, you, you know, you're looking at 30 players. How do, you, how do you find the time to spend those quality moments with each kid to let them know that you care, that you love them, that you, that you see them, like you said, as a human being, first, a soccer player, second? I think it's a combination of things, you know, I, I fall into some things I do over COVID. I had a different team, a girls team, and, you know, it sounds stupid, but while they were jogging and stretching and warming up, we had a team pole and it could be as stupid as Nike or Adidas. It could be as stupid as Baskin and Robbins or Coldstone, depending on the age of kids. Uh, if you could go to any country, which would it be, you know, showing that as a group in those times, <clears throat> and then, you know, when someone's injured, do you actually text the parents to make sure they're okay? You know, do you, do you, do you when someone's injured, do you just send them a parent on or do you go on? But then I th I think the biggest thing that's lacking in games is 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 kind of kind of accountability, but but telling the players something and actually following through. So if if you've got a team like I, I have a team of twenty two players right now, and I say to them, if you play well, you're going to play more. Simple as that. And I think some of the players, because in the past, maybe they've been told that, don't believe it. 
And so now, finally, I think we're three or four months in, people are showing it, working hard, training, because they trust that what I say is going to happen. And I think equal, you know, coaching is a big thing. Sometimes you have a tendency to just coach the weaker players on a team and never say anything to the better players, whether because we're worried about them leaving the club because someone else might recruit them and tell them the perfect. You know, we're afraid to maybe pull out a better player because, you know what, I, I can't sub that person out because they might go somewhere else. So I, I think it's a, I, I just think it's, it goes back to human basic things that your job, you don't want to know that you put in the most work and that you never get, you know, moved up the ranks. You, you, you want to know that you're appreciated for what you do. And that positive reinforcement is there as well. And, and, and communication's big. You know, you can't say, oh, I want the, everybody to communicate with me, but then you don't say a word to them. Like, it's just totally the opposite. And it's kind of like I said to you in regard to the, to the coaching courses, generally speaking, I've had, I've had some good responses because I managed that environment and culture from day one by having a little fun, making sure I ask everybody, right? Not just the same people that raise their hand. And, and I think everybody wants those basic things. I would hope parents want those, but I think that's the problem in the game nowadays is that from a parent's standpoint, they're more concerned about how many letters are in the league that they play in and what level the leagues they play in rather than, I like to say to parents, what, what, what do you want out of your coach and your coaching? And I would hope it's someone that communicates well with your kid, does not, you know, vocally and and or physically abuse your kid in any way or mentally and teaches them the game and make sure they create a good environment for them to learn in and if those are the things you're looking for and your son or daughter's getting better you know the competition is that in there maybe it is it depends on the age but everybody's chasing you know this this competition competition and sometimes it's finding that right environment for your kid because it, that that goes so far if a kid really wants to play and play for someone. But unfortunately, those are the people that that recruit based on those things. And and in America, we 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 play in soccer of golden tickets, right? You might not have done anything right, but you get a golden ticket to be in a certain league that another club that does pretty well doesn't get. And so uh, that's that's what kind of comes to this where we're at. But I think. Uh, I think it's important that we, we, we always take a step back and say, what is this really about? And what do I really want? What does the kid really want? And then you make your decisions based on that. But that was off tangent. Just like you, mate, I can talk a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's interesting. You, you bring up an interesting point. Is it the coach's job to not only teach the child, the athlete, the game, but to teach the parent what the options to the game are and how how honest do you have to be because look let's let's not beat around the bush here joey you know this is a multi-billion dollar industry you know each child is each child has a has a value and in in, in club soccer in in southern california i mean you could put that value at between two and a half to three and a half four thousand dollars per year per child now, you just said you had 22 kids on your team. That's a $90,000 team you've got there. Are you or can you, how do you massage that message to the parent where they're convinced that their child is the next Lionel Messi and will be going to UCLA on a full ride when, in fact, 
they're lucky to be on the team. Yeah, I, I mean, the first point you bring up is if you coach and you don't communicate with the parents, you're an idiot. Because there's times when that communication, you know, I, I say to coaches at different places I've been at, you know, especially when the season's going on, once every four to six weeks, meet with them no matter what, just just catch up and then talk to them a little bit about what you've been working on in practice. Now, if you've got a team that's not winning too much, but you're actually trying to develop, right? Or, but sometimes development can can swap in for losing, I guess. But if you're trying to actually do that and you don't explain to them the things to look for that you're working on, then they just don't see any anything getting better because you're losing 5-0, 6-0. But on the flip side, you can win 5-0 and 6-0 and it's totally direct and, and the soccer's ugly and none of those kids are going anywhere because it's all about, you know, sometimes with coaches, the ego, the money and the gear, right? And so I think ultimately in these cases, I think it's important for parents and coaches to have that communication and you know the first parent meeting we talk about in the courses is super important because that kind of sets the tone that you then hold people accountable to but it goes back to what i say you know we're human beings and i wouldn't as a parent the biggest thing i would say to coaches is if you and i'm not i don't have kids but if you were a parent and had a parent a kid on your team and you were the parent of would you be happy with some of the stuff you're saying and doing or would you even know what's going on and if you didn't know and you were looking from the outside in, what would it look like, right? And you can't base it off what the kids say. I think that's a huge, huge thing that, that needs to be thought about more often, right? And then the next is the next is in regard to kind of what you were saying about being the, like, the next Mo Salah um, or, you know, going to UCLA or North Carolina or let's say Santa Clara because they just won the national championship. So congrats to those guys, some good coaches. But I think it's managing expectations and making sure that people do understand that you're not going to get there by training twice a week, right? No one that's got you, you might be good, but if you want to be great, you need to do more, right? And then also, depending on the age you're at, is, is having the conversation. You know, I, I was at LMU for six years, which I loved. And that, that kind of showed me a lot of things. It's that some kids just aren't ready for that experience and it's not for everybody because you the college experience as a player compared to a NARP, the kids would call, non-athletic regular person, is a totally different experience, right? The regular students, they have movies about it. The, 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 yeah, I haven't seen a movie about a college athlete yet. Well, maybe Rudy, but it wasn't about him. It was more about the experience. But it's a lot. There's a lot that's put into that, especially Division One. And if they are focused and they're ready, then, then they need to do homework, right? I say to the players all the time and parents, if you go to two practices a week and the games, you're not doing any homework, what would happen in school if you did no homework? You'd probably be getting Cs maybe, you know, or maybe Bs, who knows. But to get an A in soccer, there needs to be homework. And the A could be that end result of starting at 8, 9, and 10, you know, doing an extra 30 minutes twice a week on a ball by yourself because you don't have to pay a private trainer. That's another whole uh, podcast about people doing circus tricks on the ball that when you watch the pro game, they never do. But anyway, they can do a lot of that stuff on their own. 
and just do more and the potential's there. But also at some point as a coach, you have to be honest with people and, and, and help them see the options they do have rather than the ones that they don't. But, you know, I've, I've coached the players, I've coached players that have gone to UCLA and, and, and one of my players didn't play. I don't think played a minute in four years, but they went to UCLA and that's how it is. So I tell people, who are you? What do you want to be? Do you want to be a superstar, a role player or a bench warmer? And if you're okay with one of those three, that can adjust the school that you're going to. Yeah, interesting points. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna test your memory here. We're gonna go back in time. Okay. So where did it all begin, Joey? What was your what was your first coaching job? I started as weird as it sounds. I was like a district coach uh, in, of District Seven. Uh, so I started, obviously, my dad. I got into it because he was back then doing coaching licenses. And at that time, players would get paid to be in it. I think it was $50 a day in a T-shirt. And so since he was teaching them, I would always do them. So I got my D license when I was 16. And then I did a, a, a local kind of district team. And then I was his assistant coach at the Blazers, which was Real SoCal. Well, sorry, LAFC SoCal. Before then, Real SoCal, SoCal United, and then Blazers. And uh, I, I, I don't think back then, and even as I was coaching, I, I would have ever said to you I would be a coach for 20-something years. But uh, it's worked out pretty good. And some of the opportunities I've had have been really cool. And the people that I've got to make, uh, meet have been, it's been, uh, I've been very lucky on those sides. And, and the interesting thing is, is it's not these big names of people that you talk about. It's people like Gary Thompson, Rush Martin, you know, uh, Reggie Banks. Um, there's guys that are just like the pillar of that area and do it for free and don't get paid much and love the game. And then on the flip side, I got to go to England and meet uh, Kenny Daglish, uh, you know, some other Jamie Carragher, uh, some cool people, and then some good coaches as well. So it's it's been a great and fun trip so far. And I'm lucky to have had the chances I have. And you spoke about uh, LMU very briefly. Well, tell us about that experience. And, you know, I, th I think the, the, there's a misconception sometimes about D1 soccer and, and, and what it is and, and how professional it is. Can, can you enlighten us a little bit what the, the, the D1 soccer is, is all about? Well, I would say at every level, including D1, it's like anywhere you go, you have expectations of, of the style of play and of all these things to be super high. Uh, but the reality is, is sometimes to be, you know, we, we just like in the youth games, there's games that I've coached that I've won just by changing the formation. And it's the same thing in, in, in college, you know, and unfortunately in college and, and uh, not, not, I'm not talking about LMU. I'm talking about uh, or a college in specific. Sometimes, People go there and they've never even seen the team play. They've never even looked at the rankings. You know, I, I tell people too, so you're okay to go to a school and maybe win one game a season and your parents drive for a full season to watch you play and you don't play. You're, you're okay with that. Because I don't think enough people do the, the research properly. And then the problem with college soccer is it's, it's like buying a used car, right? Do you think a used car salesman is going to tell you everything that's wrong about the car before you buy it? And what are they going to do? They're going to talk to you about how much they love you and how great you, you are. And they're going to want to know about your family and will they fit nice in this car? 
and it's the same in college you know when they, when when you're getting recruited no one's gonna they're gonna tell you you're gonna start you're gonna play you're gonna do this and like i say please this is not everybody but this happens and people need to be prepared for it is that you go there and it's not the experience you thought it was because you didn't either talk to a player who's there or played there or someone that knows the coach or watch the soccer or go and if you're going to watch a college game and you can sit behind the bench. Um, but from, from the style of play side, there's some schools that play some good stuff. You know, there's some schools that say they play good soccer, but they don't. And uh, you know, I, there's teams, Stanford knocks it around. Well, USC, I think Kadani does a really good job. And then not that the other schools don't play good soccer, but sometimes they don't have the players to play that. And then in college, it's all about your next opponent, which to me, I think the college piece helped me the most as a coach because now I can go backwards, you know, with younger kids to help them get there and what they need. But reality is, is, you know, we'd, we'd watch, well, I'd watch video of the game before the, our opponent played, someone like us, and another game. So I'd watch them play three times, and then we plan our week on beating that team. So it goes back to what I said to you earlier. It wasn't so much about the style of play. But I would say to coaches that are listening and to parents is that if you've got kids that can't problem solve, they're going to struggle. So if you can have either you're a coach who helps them learn, not gives them all the answers, they're going to do a lot better when they get older. And then realistically, like I say, you know, there's, there's, it's the same in the youth game. You know, I've coached U8. I left, I left the Jordan when I was with the Philippines women's national team as assistant coach, if we would have beaten Thailand or Korea, we would have been in the women's world cup and played the U S the first game. So I flew back to the United States from that to coach a U eight girls team. And it's the same though. I know as, as crazy as it sounds, it's the same. Those players want you to treat them the same way, right? They want to have a bit of fun and they want to be taught. And I think the same thing with the U eight girls I coached for two years, there's probably two teams I played in a full year that I would say actually tried to connect passes and play good soccer. And so realistically, that kind of style of play thing for me is constantly there. And I feel like in the U.S. we don't we don't have that. We don't have an identity. And I think that's part a small piece of the puzzle why we, 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 we don't compete as as high as maybe we could do it at certain levels, you know. You mentioned the Philippines, Joey. I mean, what a story. So you got to tell us all, how on earth did you become the assistant coach of the Philippines women's national team? Because it, it, it's so, so out of left field. And the fact that you were just, you know, one victory away from going to the World Cup finals in France. I mean, that, that must have been mind-blowing. What, what an experience. And, 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 and how, how has it affected you? And, and what lessons did you take from it? Well... Uh, a, a good friend who's no longer with us, Richard Boone, uh, at his club, he, he had a kind of a connection to it. So he got the job as a head coach and the head coach of it. And uh, he kind of gave me a call and said, would you help out? And it kind of led to more and more. And, and at LMU, we actually had a girl who was from the Philippines playing up top for us, Serena Bolden, and she's playing professionally now in Japan. I got involved and then um, went to some of the camps and, and uh, I, I'll tell you this, there are no people nicer and more polite on the planet than the Filipino people. And the attitude, the work rate, you, you could not question it. So we went to the Philippines for um, 
I think it was about 15 days for a training camp. And then there was a switch of the head coach because you had to have a, a equivalent of an AFCA license. <clears throat> so Rabba uh, Ben Labi came in. He worked with the Chinese women's national team and um, Myanmar's U18 boys. But when we got there, it was it was obviously it's a different it's a different country. But even in the streets, the people are so polite that don't even know you. And we had trainings twice a day. The players especially we had quite a few from the United States, but a mix from the Philippines and uh, same kind of thing. A lot like the college were, you know, were, were focused on the opponents and who are we playing. And then we went to Japan for seven days, played a couple of games. That was beautiful. Um, and then we, we flew back to the Philippines and then we flew to Jordan, beat Jordan the first game at home, which was kind of cool was a bit different because kind of like you're saying, what was it like? There was things that I never knew what it'd be like. Like all four of the teams in our group were staying in the same hotel and had the same meal times. So that was kind of a new thing for me, but it was kind of cool in ways. You know, some of the teams interacted and some kind of kept to themselves. Some of the coaches were super polite and some were, you know, I guess thought they were big time. And then we we didn't really get much out of the hotel, but um, get get out of it without a bus and, you know, people stopping traffic for us and, and army people and all that. And then, uh, like I say, we lost the next game to uh, China and then we lost to Thailand, which we probably should have had a penalty, but we didn't get, and they got a penalty. And then we lost to Korea, but the experience on a whole, every one of those players are great human beings. And uh, that's what hurt me the most. You know, the funny thing is, a dream would it have been a dream for me to coach in a world cup a hundred percent but what what hurt me the most was seeing those players and how hard they work it worked and them not getting to go there was a different thing that i didn't think i would think of and then we had filipino fans there which were they were so great and cheering and and it was a great experience and um I think you learn learn a lot more about you know how small the game is, even though you go to a bigger level. But it's just like I said to you, it was the same thing. You know, we're coaching games, and I'm thinking, man, if I had these players, and then I'm seeing how certain teams are playing and some of the things they're doing, it doesn't matter where you go, what you do. For me, everything comes down to percentages. You know, I think there's there's some people that are in jobs that maybe deserve it, some don't. Maybe some are very good coaches, but don't interact well with players. Maybe some people interact great with players, but don't coach as good, but get more out of them. And maybe somebody got a job just because they know someone, you know, kind of like I did. And then maybe some deserved it and some don't. But it was an unbelievable experience. And and I, I can't thank the Philippines Football Federation and the people there and the players enough. I, I loved every second of it. Talk, talking of jobs, you've been a technical director and director of coaching for, for many, many years. Talk to me quickly about the roles and responsibilities of, of those positions and, and how someone can get the experience to move up and, and become a, a director of coaching and a, a technical director. It saddens me to say, but do you want the truth or do you want what's written on the front page of the website in the mission statement? Because the reality now is that the directors of coaching are, are the sheriff of Nottingham collecting fees and making sure coaches have enough paid players to get paid fully. 
and then dealing with you deal with parent problems firing coaches hiring coaches it's very little of you know watching sessions giving feedback doing you know games doing an evaluation with a coach you know the things that will help the game better i feel like the it should we shouldn't be called directors of coaching we should be administrators of funds and problems um but like i say it's it it is tough because there's a lot to do at times so it, it does take your focus away from the field and i got a friend in england uh ad boothroyd and he always told me for a long time the better you get at soccer the more they want to take you off the field and uh, as funny as that sounds that's actually the truth right you know just because you coach pretty good doesn't mean you're a good director or leader right so I would say to people that are interested in something like that, the first thing isn't the same with college, right? It's figuring out how long that person's been there and and are there going to be openings and is there something below and, and those types of things. For me, reading and, 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 and chatting with other people and seeing what's worked for them um, it has a big part in it. Uh, but it's going to be people management. So it, it doesn't matter... Sorry, mate. You get a little, that, little never walk alone. that was you'll never walk alone in the middle of your interview, and I didn't plan it, mate. Um, but I think you're going to be doing a lot of people and problem solving, and so sometimes I feel like that's more important. Which kind of goes back to what we're saying about people. Yeah. You know, how do you deal with people and problems? And if if there's a problem and people come to you to complain, and the first thing you say is "Be quiet" or "Don't tell me that" or "We don't do that." then you're not listening and they'll, they'll leave. So I think if as a director, it's not, it's not this, this uh, fairy tale dream of things you get to deal with. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to see, you know, the progress. Uh, but I, I, I wish, I wish for the game of soccer in America that directors of coaching had more of an effect on the coaching and then the soccer. Because I don't feel, especially in Southern California, that happens very little. And especially from the guys that come to the licenses I do, they've had some, they've never had a director at a game. They've never had them at a practice. And that's because they're dealing with a lot of other stuff. But I, I would say your people skills is huge. Last question, Joey. Where do you see the future of youth soccer in Southern California? Oof. Uh, well... Soccer in Southern California, United States is I'm playing a game against you and I don't like you. So I'm taking my ball and I'm starting a new game. So the future could be five different leagues that have rotated and come out. You, yet everybody's saying they're doing it for competition, but yet the competition isn't the best it can be. And it's about people, like you said, filling their pockets. So I, I see, I see us still producing players, but, I just think we need to make changes. And if we don't, even on the women's side, we're going to fall behind. And so I'd like what I'd like to see. I'd like to see one level, one league that filters the best players up and that there is promotion and relegation and that you are held accountable for how you do and coach. And if there is a golden ticket league, that it is based on something fair for, for, for clubs that aren't out there. Cause I've been on both sides of that. And I'd like to see um, a little bit more referee education 
um, and not to complain to them, but just to explain and show certain things because it's starting to affect some of the games and some of the stuff we're having. I'd like to see parents and, and, and coaches leave the referees alone a bit more and understand that they are humans as well. And if you shout at them, they'll make different decisions. I'd like to see, uh, you know, more of a single true pathway to the national team. And I'd like to see that we don't have to send our best players at 14 and 15 to Germany to become the best players in the world. But I'd also like to see the men's national team maybe knocking it around a little bit better and having more of a true style of play. Same with our women's. And I'd like to see more youth coaches that have pride in people coming to watch the team play rather than look at the trophies or the gear they wear, the money they make. So I do think it's possible. And I think with people that want to take the time and make it better for the right reasons, it can happen. Uh, but I think, I think the future is unknown, which is some ways good and sometimes can't be good. But I'm, I'm hopeful. Joey Hoffman, huge Liverpool fan, administrator, coach of coaches, technical director, college coach. He's even coached World Cup qualifiers. Thank you so much for joining the Bear and the Ball. If uh, someone's got a question, is there any way they can get hold of you? Yeah, joey.hoffman at yahoo.com. They can reach out anytime. You heard that, joey.hoffman at yahoo.com. If you've got any questions for me, at Nick Webster on Twitter, or you can go to Twitter at Soccer. We're also on Instagram at Cal South Soccer. And uh, Joey, thank you so much for spending your time on the Bear and the Ball. I'm sure we'll see each other on the pitch real soon. Definitely. Thank you, mate. Joey Hoffman, always a very entertaining interview. Well, don't forget, here at Cal South, we're about to kick off some beach soccer. So that's going to happen November 20th, 21st, down in Huntington Beach. So if you fancy some beach soccer, go to the website, cowsouth.com. We've also got the big 7v7 tournament at KCSP, Kern County Soccer Park. Prize money, food, beer, music. It is going to be fantastic. And don't forget, you can also win $500 of Nike gear by coming up for a new name for our brand new league down in San Diego. This has been The Bear and the Ball. I'm Nick Webster. We'll speak to each other real soon.